give me a hell yeah. I said, give me a hell yeah. This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast. John, three shows in the last five days. We're, we're working pretty hard on this little hobby we got here. Yeah, man, we're really putting out that content. <laughs> All right, so this is our this is our normal weekly show. Uh, if you missed it last week, uh, our normal show, which is usually on Wednesday or Thursday night. Uh, was pushed to the weekend because just to schedule stuff. So we had a show on Saturday, uh, Saturday morning. And then we also did a post-game evolution show on Sunday evening. So Saturday we talked about the, you know, we finished up with the Mae Young Classic. And then on Sunday we talked about evolution. So if you haven't heard those shows uh, they were pretty good. I, I think um, I think we had some pretty strong evolution takes uh, that I haven't really heard uh, anywhere else. So uh, I, I think that was good. But uh, but tonight we're going to talk about a few different things. The promised discussion on the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame is going <laughs> to happen tonight. Uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about Crown Jewel, and um, I think we uh, oh and then. Of course, it being Halloween and all, uh, we have two sort of Halloween-themed things going on. Uh, the Chamber of Horrors match from Halloween Havoc 1991. Since we didn't have a uh, show to review, we decided to review this match. Uh, it's uh, just as bad as you ever remembered it. But um, we're also going to do uh, our kids' update. It will be Halloween-themed, uh, I'm, I'm guessing. So in the spirit, we're in the spirit of Halloween. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, so let's get it going, man. So I kind of want to start with, uh, the, 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 the sort of the newsworthy piece of, of the show, which is WWE's crown jewel. Um, John Cena and Daniel Bryan got off the show. They, they were able to, uh, remove themselves from going to Saudi Arabia and, uh, on, in both instances, WWE quickly changed stories so that, uh, so that, you know, they, they were able to remove them. In John Cena's case, he simply got replaced uh, by Baron Corbin, who said John Cena didn't, since he didn't win a match to uh, to qualify, he's out and uh, Bobby Lashley is in. So that's how they handled that. And then on the SmackDown side, Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles had a match on Tuesday night. And uh, and then Samojo uh, got involved, and it's going to be AJ and Samojo in Saudi Arabia. So Daniel Bryan, whatever issues that he had, I, I don't think we're a hundred percent sure yet. He hasn't come out and said anything, but uh, but yeah, he put his foot down. It looks like, and and he's off the show as well. So Crown Jewel, which is on Friday, if you are working from home or you got the day off. On the East Coast, it's at noon, and on the West Coast, it's at 9 a.m. So if you are just hanging out and want to watch some wrestling, it is uh, it is up. And um, 
you know, I, I kind of made a big stink about that show and how I was canceling my network subscription. And I did do that, even though it took like seven clicks for them to finally uh, <laughs> let, let me go. And they've sent me about six emails since I, I did it. Um, but I still have it for a couple weeks because of when my pay period was. But I am going to have to watch this show uh, because... Uh, Brian Alvarez is wrestling Marco Stunt this weekend, and he's not going to be able to record Wrestling Observer Radio with Big Dave Meltzer. So uh, I told Dave that I would record it with him, and you know I want to be professional as professional as possible for this hobby that 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 we're talking about. And so because of that, I'm sure that I will watch most of the show. Uh, and I wasn't going to, but since you know I agreed to help help out, I will watch the show. Uh, I might watch it with a little bit of a stink eye, but I'm definitely watching the show. Um, do you do you find? Uh, well, I mean, what are you looking forward to on that show? Because I know you're going to watch as well. But uh, is there anything like specific now that they did the AJ and Daniel Bryan match on SmackDown? Are, are you looking forward to anything on that Crown Jewel show? No, not really. Um, I'm just kind of curious about the finish of Bronstone. Strowman and uh, Brock Lesnar. Oh, just mostly the finish. The match itself, I expect it to go the way a lot of Brock Lesnar matches have gone. So, uh, maybe curious to see how Angle does in his performance. Uh, I really don't care for the uh, DX reunion versus um, the Undertaker and Kane. It's not really into that. Um, I mean, I'm going to watch it. I'll probably watch a little bit on Friday afternoon and. Maybe a Friday night if I'm not tired, I'll probably throw it on. I'll probably watch it in segments throughout the weekend, I have a feeling. or I'll probably be done by Saturday afternoon at the latest. But uh, not, nothing really has me interested. I just know what they're going to do to the finish of the, of the title match. and I assume that Braun Strowman will walk out as champion. Um, I think it's time for him to be champion anyways. I mean, now that Roman Reigns is, you know, out with, uh, you know, his battle with leukemia. I mean, I think it's time to give Roman the belt for now and see how he does. Um, he's not the long-term plan, but uh, long-term solution to Roman Reigns being out or next guy, but I think he's okay for a nice short term. So, uh, that's my guess is he's going to go over somehow somewhere or, you know, maybe Vince cut the deal and Brock, uh, gets the belt again and we're everything <laughs> old stuff. So, I, mean, I mean, you should never know, right. How it's going to go. So, um, nothing, nothing really specific. Like I said, any angles performance, I can see the angles been really like beat up, you know, and, yeah. and he, like every time, every time he wrestles, he's coming in like already injured, you know, with, <laughs> Hamstring taped up yep. or something, and it's just you know it's a, it's just I mean, he wrestled so hard for so many years, and you know neck injury from the Olympics on down, it's just you know the wear and tear on his body. So you know he he's um, still he's uh, still pretty muscular. I wonder what would happen if he slimmed down a bit and uh, and lost a little bit of size. I wonder if that would help his body. Uh, you know, kind of uh, stop with the nagging injuries, like you said. You know, it takes some weight off his knees, um, but may- maybe he feels that he needs that you know that muscle to kind of protect him from taking bumps and stuff. I don't know, but he he still seems pretty muscular, you know, for his age. 
Yeah, he's pretty muscular, but you know his arm's not big because he has that atrophy, you know, from the neck injury, the muscle atrophy. Um, uh, I don't know. I just I just worry about him like wrestling, and it's kind of like I think it's only he's only wrestle a few times a year, and I know that this is another you know rare appearance, but at the same time, it's like I think it's really wasted. There's so much stuff is wasted on this show in front of a crowd that no one cares about. That no one cares about. You know, they're not really into it. They're forced to be there or where the hell it is. It's just so bizarre to me. This whole Saudi Arabia thing, I, just, I understand they're getting tons of money from from Saudi Arabia, but they need to get out. This is it. Get it. Get done and, and just get out, in my opinion. This is the last thing. It's never never go back again. I hope, I hope they don't go back again. Uh, Pro, Pro Wrestling Sheet reported that Renee Young is going to be on the show. Um, it is unconfirmed whether or not she will be dressed like uh, the Yeti, Ron Reese, uh, and no mm-hmm. part of her face or body will be shown. I'm just kidding, by the way. I, I, uh, I, you know, she's going to be on it, which is pretty interesting because I think the last time that they went, no, like not even Stephanie went, I don't think. So to actually have Renee Young on the show uh, is kind of interesting, and uh, I wonder if they, you know, they had to make a deal with the with the the prince, and was like, man, you know, we may not go, but you know, just give us this one carrot, you know, because we've had to deal with all this stuff, and and let you know, let let Renee mm-hmm. on the show. I don't know, I don't know what what happened, but I thought that was pretty interesting. Also interesting considering the timing, because it was like, you know, the the Daniel Bryan thing was kind of heating up, and and it was finally revealed yesterday. That uh, that he wasn't going to be on it, and then uh, right at the same time we got the Renee Young news. So I don't I don't know what's going on there, but I thought that was pretty interesting. Didn't didn't Saudi Arabia have a big circus event there, and they had female performers? And yeah, and uh, I, remember, I I I think which, they you know, they're not I like, think they they're did not dressed in they're not dressed in parkas, you know, from yeah Carter, you know, so it's like. I don't understand the whole maybe they had something to do with not. I mean, I mean those those people in the circus to do those stunts are just, they're unbelievable, unbelievable athletes, you know. So mm-hmm. same with the women wrestlers. Like I don't see an issue with it. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they don't want to show women of strength or something like that. I I, I have no clue. It's, it's a weird thing, and I just I just think it's bad publicity. Bad publicity on this on the company. It's just like I know it's a lot of money. But sometimes you got to look at the long term instead of the short term, and it just just I think it's best for public relations and everything going forward is to get out. You know, after, after just go with this commitment, get it done if you have to, and then just say okay, don't come back. Yeah, I, I mean I don't know. I think they are thinking long term though because the deal was a, a supposedly a long term deal with Saudi Arabia to put on these shows. And I wonder if the if the main worry was, well, if we pull out on this date, you know, how does that affect the rest of the contract? And so I feel like this show, them doing this show, shows the long term commitment that they have, because if they didn't if they didn't have if they decided to uh, to change the deal, then they could have gained a lot of good PR by pulling out of this one. So I so I, I feel like. This is Vince saying, you know, we honor our commitments. Business is business. Like that's been their their mo, right? Like Stephanie was even like on. Uh, she got interviewed by some uh, some website, or maybe it was a, a magazine or something, and she said, 
you know, we understand the whole deal is really frustrating what happened, but this is business and that is separate. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> um, so let's. I don't know. They continue to get bad publicity out of it, in my opinion. Every time they go back, we're going to have to go through all the same old stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I expect a lot more bad things to happen from Saudi Arabia. And it's a horrible thing that happens to that journalist. And it's just a, it's just a bad look and just a really bad look. I, I think, like I said, I just think you honor this commitment, yes, but then, you know, you know, just wipe their hands of it. But I understand. Who knows what the contract states on that stuff? Maybe they can't get out at all, or they're committed to, or who knows? It's it's just ah, frustrating. Why don't we talk? It's like it's like I'm. It's like tough to talk about this stuff. I don't have to, but like, it's just you know, it's a it's a. I'm wait. I'm I'm excited for Chamber of Horrors tonight. <laughs> 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 a lot. I mean, I'm. I'm <laughs> A lot more than Crown Jewel and the Saudi Arabia drama is just ugh, just drives me insane. Yeah, it, it makes it makes it so sleazy. That's why. Um, yeah. it, it, may, it makes you hate. It makes you. It, it puts out front the things that you hate about wrestling. And you know, my 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 adage is, you know, the the old facts of life theme song. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have the facts of life. Um. Yeah, but let's move which you, on. Which you can catch on Logo, <laughs> by the way. I know Mrs. Garrett recently died, too. She lived a very long life. Mrs. Garrett was the best. Uh, All right, so let's uh, let, let's move on to the Observer Hall of Fame stuff. So, for the, you know, I, I think a lot of people don't really understand what the, what the Observer Hall of Fame is because I always see on Twitter that, you know, Dave put some guy in the Hall of Fame because, uh, because he, he liked him so much. And um, so basically, uh, basically, Dave Meltzer sends out ballots to a mix of uh, wrestling historians and hardcore fans and smart people he 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 talks wrestling with. Um, And he has a ballot and those people vote Mm -hmm. on the ballot. And if a wrestler or tag team or manager or person of history uh, gets sixty percent of the vote, then they make it, and so that's how somebody gets on the uh, on, in in the Hall of Fame. So, for those who uh, who think that you know it's just Dave like r- making sure people get there, I mean, some may think that he has some influence, especially when he tweets about a wrestler or when he writes a, a bio or he posts a bio from somebody about a specific wrestler uh, who you know gives you're basically showing why or why not someone gets in. I could see why some people may think that, you know, his influence, you know, may help somebody, but um you know, there's there that 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 just comes with the territory because he is uh, the one who who puts in the time and effort and counts the ballots and has held this thing together historically for gosh, when did it when did the original one come out? Like 19 uh, gosh, in the early '90s, I guess, right? I want to say, I want to say '96 or something like that. Maybe mid '90s. I'm trying to remember. I just remember like a certain amount of people got in like right away and all that. So, um, but yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's cool. I remember it was an honor to be get the email and to be considered 
that my vote is, you know, my vote is, you know, you know, in high regard, my opinion in high regard. So it was cool. It's cool. It's I, you know, I, I usually vote every year. Sometimes I will skip it or just just forget to send it in because I get so busy. But this time I, I you know, took a look and um, had to put my vote down for a few and. And one, I one, I kind of it's we'll, we'll talk about it, but one, I was, I don't know too much of the history, but I just would see the name a lot, and mm-hmm. I, and and the, a little bit that I know, I just felt like he seems like a, a, a Hall of Fame caliber kind of guy. So, so you're absolutely right. It was 1996 when they put in the inaugural class, and I think Dave and a bunch of people just said, okay, who are the no-brainers? who fit these criteria we're going to put them in as the first class. And then the following years, we will leave it up to votes. Um, and so just to give you a little bit of background, um, to be eligible, the performer must have reached either their 35th birthday, uh, and completed 10 years or mm-hmm. be someone who has been a full-time pro wrestler for at least 15 years. So if someone has been wrestling sex since they were 16, they could essentially, make the Hall of Fame at 31 years old. So that's how that rule works. Um, as far as like what a hall, what determines a Hall of Famer, longevity should be a prime consideration rather than a short run, unless that short run was so significant uh, or valuable that they needed to be in there. You know, if you, if you think about historical Hall of Fames, uh, sports Hall of Fames, Gale Sayers comes to mind in the NFL. Uh, Kirby Puckett mm. comes to mind in the MLB. They didn't have those 15-year careers, but they had um, shorter careers that meant just as much as someone who had had a 15-year career. So that's that's how that rule works. Um, but just being uh, uh, someone with longevity without being a, a long-term main eventer or a top draw or so good in the ring... Um, should be meaningless. So if you're a 16-year uh, or 17-year opening match guy, you're probably not going to get into the Hall of Fame unless you were just like this ridiculous wrestler um, from a performance uh, level. And then um, he breaks them down into categories. Uh, a lot of these are geographically based, but in some instances, like you mentioned, there's a historical performer's era um, and then there's also a non-wrestler. So the, all those are kind of bunched into into categories. So I'll just get mine out of the way because I opted out of voting in any categories outside of modern. Um, this is the first time that I've gotten a ballot, and I wanted to make sure that my vote was uh, valid and uh, and something that that has been well-researched. And I just didn't feel yet that I was able to either A, do enough research, or B, have enough knowledge of the um, the territories uh, such as uh, Japan and, and Mexico. Now, non-wrestlers are often also very historical. So non-wrestlers and, and uh, the historical performers, those are categories that I felt I would be good uh, to vote in, but I just didn't feel like I had enough time to do the research necessary. So I opted out of those as well. So all I did was vote in the modern performers category in the U S and Canada. I mean, I, what I should have said. And so thus I voted for two people that you voted for, which are edge and Randy Orton. 
And when you look at WWE today, you can't really be a top draw. Um, you know, maybe if you're The Rock coming back for WrestleMania 27, 28, and 29, where the pay-per-view buys are decidedly larger than, uh, than, than you know, other previous WrestleManias. And in, in today's uh, sort of network era, like how are, how are we tracking, you know, what a draw is when every WrestleMania sells out? So what I looked at with Edge and Randy Orton was just a longevity of being a main eventer and of having high quality matches. Now it's arguable. I I I think I would prefer Randy Orton's matches in general over Edge, but at the same time, I also feel like Edge had more great matches than Randy Orton and less stinkers. I guess you could say. Um, but they're both really like when when I think of. WWE from like post attitude era, like they're absolutely two guys who stand out as Hall of Famers. And and look, you know the, that that the the number of Hall of Famers that you can have in WWE because of the way that the business is, it's it's kind of it's kind of shrunken. You know, it, it, it's hard to to fit all of those criteria in today's WWE. But I felt that Randy Orton and Edge both met the criteria um, outside of the being the draw. But I thought they were so good in those other areas that they deserve to be on it. So that those were my two picks. Now let's go through yours. Now you have a lot because you chose a lot of guys in the non-wrestler category, which you can choose infinite amount. Um, well, not really infinite, but you can choose as many as you want. They don't count against the 10 that you get from all the other categories. So you can only vote 10, 10 people. Um, the intriguing name I thought on this year's ballot was, uh, Kenny Omega. And, um, you know, I think he's a very polarizing guy, but I think we all recognize, uh, sort of the greatness of his in-ring and, and, uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens here, but you did not vote for Kenny Omega. Well, let's go down the guys that you voted for and, uh, and we'll just kind of, you know, give a couple words for, for some of these guys. So historical performers, you voted for Cowboy Bob Ellis. Any specific reason? Well, that's the one I was talking about earlier. Um, you know, he's a long-time babyface in the South and you know, was on top of the territory for a very long time, made events for a very long time. And that, you know, he's the classic babyface. I always thought, like, I was always shocked that he wasn't a Hall of Famer. And I don't know, maybe because he didn't go to a lot of different territories. You know, I'm going to I should have, I should have talked to, to with Big Dave at the birthday dinner about this. Cause I really was actually, one thing I wanted to bring up, talk about Cowboy Bob, Bell at the board, everyone at the table, but <laughs> yeah, I was just, I was just curious to see like, cause I just, I always thought like he was the Hall of Fame kind of guy yeah. or had the potential. So, so I think he was on the cusp of like being eliminated, I believe, or something like that. So I just, I threw my vote in, you know, because I just feel like, I think I met him a couple of times at Cobb RIT, which is kind of funny, but, and then, yeah, so I just, you know, it was just kind of like a little, I wanted to give him a little, some, some extra vote. I just, I just, I'm just shocked he's not in already. That's when I always see his name on the ballot, it just, it just intrigues me why he's made it. So maybe, um, when Dave does his review, I hope he kind of covers Cowboy Bob Ellis or, Next time I see him, I'll have to talk to him about that. So for modern performers in the U.S. and Canada, you, uh, like I said, you also went Edge and Randy Orton. But 
you voted, in addition to those two, you voted for Bill Goldberg and Trish Stratus. Now, the, the Goldberg one is interesting because we just talked about longevity and the way that you can get around longevity is to have, you know, a, a super valuable short run. And based off of his, uh, his WCW time, um, he probably gets some votes. But he recently came back for uh, a, another run, which culminated in uh, him uh, and Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania 33. So uh, why, uh, why Bill? What, 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 what made you vote for Bill? But yeah, I'll probably not be able to vote next year. But um, <laughs> well, you know, like yeah, he didn't have a longevity, but I felt like he had a pretty big impact. He came in and quickly main evented, and you know drew some big crowds, and was uh, you know he did fill out with the W that was more of the booking than it is him. Um, his first W run wasn't the best, but he also, it wasn't too bad, but they, it, they definitely, again, here comes the booking in the room, but he comes back and he has a really enough, another run, you know? So I think like he's a character that people know or remember and, you know, and I think he kind of crosses just hardcore wrestling fans. Cause I, I remember how much my brother-in-law would make fun of me about <laughs> just make fun of me, like, always, you know, I mean, say some really bad stuff about it, but I can't repeat on here, but, like, like, but I remember, like, also one day, he's like, hey, so so that Goldberg guy? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, he's cool, I really like him. He's like, yeah, he's pretty badass, and he's, he, he looks like a real badass. I'm like, yeah, yeah, he's, 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 he's cool, man, and all of a sudden, like, he wanted to go see him at Super Brawl in Oakland, and, like, it was crazy. He bought a shirt at the show. You know what I mean? Like, this is the guy that, like, made fun of me about pro wrestling. And, and then he now is, like, just because Goldberg, like, you know. So, I mean, Goldberg, I don't know. I think he should get a little bit nod, you know. I mean, I don't know if he'll ever get in. I don't think it'll be hard for him. But, you know, in my opinion, I, I think he, he's a Hall of Fame guy. So, so just to kind of relate to that a little bit, um, I should have mentioned this when we were talking about Crown Jewel and, and you were talking about Roman, uh, you know, being out and Brock and, and, and Braun having the match. Um, I have a, a, a second cousin and he's, uh, gosh, what great, what, maybe he's like eight or something. And so whenever he gets the chance, you know, he'll ask me if I've seen some wrestling thing. And he was like, he was like, oh, did you see that match? At WrestleMania, when Braun had the tag team with the kid, and I was like, "Yeah, that was really cool, huh?" Like, imagine if that was you, if you were Brock's tag team partner. He's like, "Yeah, that was cool." And I said, "Did you get you like? Did you get the WrestleMania DVD or you got the movie or whatever?" He's like, "No, I got the DVD." And I was like, "You know what my favorite match was? It was Ronda and Kurt versus Triple H and Stephanie." He's like, "Oh, you know what my favorite match was? Brock versus Roman." And, like, it just reminds me of, like, how critical, like, we could be as, you know, hardcore fans. Yeah. But when you look and when you watch it through the eyes of, uh, you know, of, of a young kid, like, it's it's so much more that, like, hero versus villain kind of mentality. And that's how they watch is like, oh, the good guy versus the bad guy. And you know, I'm really bummed that the good guy didn't win. And, like, that was his favorite match of WrestleMania. And, like, I'm sure... 
you know, most of us were like, eh, it's kind of not that good or it was just okay or, you know, they, they could have done a better job or whatever. But it just goes to show you, like, you know, talking about your brother-in-law and Bill Goldberg, it's like all you got to do is, like, just reach somebody in, in some interesting way. And, you know, he can say, oh, all of wrestling sucks. But you know what? That Bill Goldberg guy, he's actually kind of cool. Yeah, no, I think, like, whatever opportunity he was given, he, like, came through, you know, Bessie's ability, and I don't think he's as bad as people will say he's in the ring. I think he knows who he is and what he can do, and he does it to the best of his ability. To me, that's always a good worker, and I know people think, oh, good workers like a Kurt Angle or a Kurt Hennig or Chris Benoit or Danny Guerrero, but, like, a good worker to me is a guy who has whatever limited ability he has and makes the best of it. And I think Goldberg has always did that. And I know he's worked with good guys, and it, it, but it still does take two. Like Goldberg was a good Goldberg wasn't just a, a block out there doing nothing. Like mm-hmm. he was intense and he he's believable and easy to get behind and root for. And, and he's a, a really good dude all around. Like I see that guy do a lot of cool stuff and reach out to people. And, you know, I just, like I said, I just have a little sympathy for him. So I, I, I decided to vote for him. How much do you hold against him? The one year run when he came to WWE uh, and seemingly was just unhappy as all hell. And I thought at times could get over and at other times just couldn't do it. And, you know, had had some OK matches and then had some kind of bad ones culminating with the with the Brock Lesnar one, which, you know, fans didn't really give a chance at WrestleMania 20. Uh, but, you know, how, how, how does that how much do you hold that against him? You're talking about the first run at WWE? Yes. When he came at the Rock and. Um, I don't hold that against him because we, the second run proved if you book him correctly, he, he can get over it mm-hmm. and successfully. Like, he was almost there in the first run. If you remember the Elimination Chamber, a SummerSlam, they, you know, Triple H hurt his uh, quad, I believe, again, or, or no, hernia, or something like that. What do we have? A groin pull. And so all of a sudden, they make an Elimination Chamber match, which is a hell of a match. Especially when Goldberg gets in. Goldberg gets in and he's Goldberg of old, right? He's just crushing dude. Boom, 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 boom. Then it gets to tri- him and Triple H, right? And people are just going nuts and they're just going crazy. The crowd's loud, even on their feet. But then the sledgehammer comes to play, <laughs> socks out Goldberg and pins him. And it's like, shit, man. Like, this is the perfect opportunity for you to book Goldberg to crush Triple H. And Triple H has an excuse why he lost. You know, people will boo him because he's a heel and think he's just making excuses. But, you know, sometimes it's, you know, a, you know, a heel has a religious complaint makes him more of a heel, right? Sometimes, I don't know. So I think, like, they could have played up to a rematch and it could have been bigger money. But, but mm-hmm. then here it goes again when they bring him back and they book him correctly. You know, like have him, you know, crush Brock and shock the world and have him crush Owens and, you know, stuff like that. I think he, think he did really well, you know, and I don't think they overused him. 
I thought it was a perfect a perfect uh, balance this last time around. So I thought he did really well. So I think kind of erased the bad memory of his first run, and I think his second run proved that the riding was shit at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, without you know not playing to his strengths, it was just a funky thing. Like you have Goldberg, you're paying him all this money, use him correctly. I don't know what the hell. It's just that you know ego. WWE's better. WWE is not. It's like if that's the case, just don't sign him, right? But you're going to sign him because he you know he's going to draw business, and he did. He he had some big big crowds and stuff. And what was that? Nine two thousand? What was it? Two thousand four or something like that? No, two thousand two. No, two thousand three. I think it was. Two yeah, two thousand three to two thousand four. Uh, okay, so quickly, uh, this person is in my my personal Hall of Fame, but uh, I did not choose her for <laughs> the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. Uh, Trish Stratus, who is also recently back uh, uh, and possibly doing a mini run here with her bestie Lita, uh, why'd you vote for Trish? Um, just through her, you know, her work rate. Um, she was, you know, one of the top female performers in this, you know, in this last generation, and her influence on, you know, young women wrestlers today is huge. So that's why I voted for her. So we go to the Japan uh, candidates, and like I mentioned, Omega is on uh, for the first time. Naito is on. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you voted for Jun Akiyama, who is one of the eight wrestlers on the ballot who, if they do not get 50% of the vote, they will be dropped from the ballot. And this is because uh, there is a 15-year rule if you are on the ballot for 15 years and you don't make it, you have to get half of you have to get 50 percent of uh, of the vote to stay on for the following year. So this is this is a way to kind of, you know, weed out a little bit of uh, so so that your ballot isn't, you know, 200 names long. Um, and but as has happened in the past, you know, Dave will take them off and then something happens Someone writes a historical piece. There's new information, and you, and he puts them back on, and they're they're sort of they sort of have a new life on the ballot. So uh, you voted for Jun Akiyama. Um, that was the only one in all of the Japanese candidates. Uh, why why'd you vote Jun? Well, you know, Jun was kind of the fourth guy of the actually the fifth guy of the you know Usawa, Kobashi, Kawada, Tao. Um, you know, he but he's such a he was good from day one. I basically voted for him for work rate because he was he's really good. He's all he was awesome. He's still awesome today, even though he's kind of you know he's the president of All Japan Wrestling. He's kind of downplays himself, but when he like he puts himself in positions, he still performs really well at a high level. So just uh, it's more of a work rate uh, vote than because I know like. Noah, like Noah was formed originally. Akiyama was supposed to be the guy mm-hmm. that was going to be on top, but business wasn't that. You know, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't as they expected. So they they went back with Masawa, and then they ended up with Kobashi, and Kobashi's legendary title run really put Noah on the map. But uh, but you know, when it comes to work rate, you know, Akiyama has been one of the greatest. You know, so I I think he should be in. And so we move on to Mexico, and you have Ultimo Guerrero and Blue Panther on your list. 
Yeah, Ultimo, long-time main inventor in Mexico. Uh, when it comes to Lucha Libre, one of the better workers, top top Rudo. Um, so legendary guy. I definitely think he deserves to be in. He's been in some big mask, mask, losses, mask to Atlanta. It's a really big match a couple years ago. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think he in. Blue Panther, long-time veteran, one of the best technical wrestlers in Lucha Libre, an all-time favorite of mine. Uh, even at an advanced age, you know, being like in his 50s, still having really good matches. And even today, after he lost his ma- he lost his mask already, which was a bad move because he looks really old. <laughs> yeah. But, he, you know, he's, he's still out there doing topes and, and putting on really good matches. The last really good match I saw was him and Sam Adonis in the hair versus hair match. I thought it was pretty good. And um, so, you know, I think he, you know, for longevity and work rate and, yeah, definitely think he's deserving for sure. And so we won't go through all of the uh, historical candidates. Um, I'm sorry, the, the non-wrestlers. Um, but uh, I'll name the guys that you, uh, that you mentioned, and then you can talk about a couple of them. So on your list were uh, Larry Matisik, who actually uh, seems like he's uh, pretty ill right now. So all best wishes to Larry um, Jerry Jarrett, someone who you had a, had MySpace conversations with. <laughs> true, true story. Jim Crockett Sr., The Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, Don Owen, and Howard Finkel. Yeah, um, I think all those guys need to be in. I don't see how they cannot be in. Um, Larry Matisik, you know, right-hand man of Sam Mushnick. Uh, worked with a lot of different, you know, worked for WWE. Um, just a smart guy. And I just, you know, I took a lot of influence from my booking from him, from just his book, Wrestling the Chase, that just helped me out a lot. And St. Louis Wrestling has a, you know, special place in my heart ever since I read that book. And I wanted to start studying it. And, you know, I thought he's one of the best minds in wrestling, he's one. You know, he suggested Jim Hurd to, to sign Rick Steamboat to wrestle Ric Flair. And too bad he was never hired to book WCW in '89 because I think he would have done a hell of a job. And uh, so, I definitely want to vote him in. He is ill, and, and uh, you know, I I was lucky enough to email him and and have a few conversations with him through email. Um, regarding his book and booking and stuff like that. So, really smart guy. Jerry Jarrett, I mean, long-time promoter of Memphis Wrestling. I mean, how is he not in? That just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, that territory was a thriving territory for a very long time. Even when it was down, he was able to keep it going from his, you know, his budget cuts. Just always kept making it survive. And one of the best booking minds ever and yeah, it was during my face days, I just messaged him one day and asked him the question, and he seemed to take a liking to me. And we kept corresponding, and it went beyond MySpace to like personal email. So that was pretty cool. But you know, so but I got to like run things by him, you know, like and see what he thought, and he would give me advice, and I would send him footage of matches that I booked or angles, and he would give advice, and it was, it was really cool to to get his opinion on stuff and get some validation on some stuff really made me feel good. So, but I'm just shocked he's not in. Same with Don Owen, longtime promoter of Portland wrestling. How's he not in? And, 
you know, territory was open forever, and I think he should be in. Um, Howard Finkel, I mean, come on. Who doesn't remember Howard Finkel, right? That, that's the greatest ring announcer probably of all time, even though I have a special place in my heart for Gary Michael Feta. But I just think Howard needs to be in. Like, uh, he's like the ring, uh, every ring announcer strives to be, I think, you know, for wrestling. And, I mean, how many people we, t- we talk about wrestling with and they talk about ring announcers like everyone brings up Howard Finkel everyone like he's number one on everyone's lips when it comes to the ring announcing so not Mike McGurk okay. no <laughs> <laughs> not Mike McGurk so I used to, I do like Mike McGurk so I used to remember I used to, I, used to, I thought she was cool to have a female ring announcer and then you know I but, yeah, I thought she had a good voice too. I mean, talk about the WWE evolution. Like that, like that was evolving. <laughs> like back then, to have her her do that, I thought that was actually really cool. Um, uh, so the, yeah, that's something that they could actually uh, you know put out there. Um, so I wonder, I, does, does she have heat with the company? Or I don't even know, but uh, it'd be kind of cool. If she came out and did like one match, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. That'd have been kind of cool, but. I don't know if she's ever talked shit and she's banned. (laughs) I know, I know. Um, So one thing I I failed to mention is uh, in, uh, so it would be four years ago, Alan wrote a piece for June Akiyama's candidacy on uh, the website on Fight Game Blog. So if you you did a search in Google and you just put in uh, Fight Game Blog, June Akiyama 2014, like you'll, you'll find it. It's actually a really, really good piece that uh, he had put together and he still you know he he still goes on podcasts uh this year uh i think he was on voices of wrestling podcast uh and he's like june's got to be in so alan uh, alan is making the making the case to keep june either get either get june in or keep him over 50 percent and then beyond uh just his work rate like what he's done with all japan since he's you know been the president and he's doing a really good job and building that company up that was really, really down the dumps. And, you know, they're not New Japan level right now, but they're slowly but surely each year getting more and more momentum and, yeah. and, and compiling a great roster of, of talent. So speaking of talent, there were eight gentlemen in this next match. We're going to talk about the Chamber of Horrors <laughs> who are very talented in yeah. their own right. Uh, I'm so really excited to talk about this. <laughs> I mean, okay, so so let's think about this for a second. I did the math. I was fourteen and a half, so you're a year younger than me. Mm-hmm. So you're you know you're a young thirteen year old. Um, I was so excited for this stupid match, like so excited, like more excited than needed to be excited for for this match. And here, here, here's part, part of it is here's why I'm going to give you a little bit of the rundown of what was going on in wrestling at this time, because my fandom <laughs> as someone who was looking for news like this is kind of like the transitional year for me as a wrestling fan. It wasn't just about, you know, the matches. It was now about I was able to find information. Right. We're, we're at the height of Dynamite D and, 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 and what, what was that show called? Uh, Square Circle or something like that, or Wrestle Talk, or something like that. 
So, so yeah. anyways, J- John and I, uh, as ki- as teenagers, used to listen to the show that I could only find uh, if you were uh, you, watching your local cable channel, which would basically run a scroll of all the local events on a blue screen. And through the audio would be this wrestling talk show. And so uh, I, I would just sit there in front of this stupid TV for two hours just to listen to, to all the all the wrestling news. And, you know, I, I've asked Big Dave about this, and we, we both pretty much figured that, you know, Dynamite D got his stuff from The Observer. Um, Dynamite D is no longer with us, unfortunately, So because if he was, I would figure out a way to interview him, like, in a second. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, yeah, so... I need to find... I need to find my friend who had those Dynamite D recordings. Like you uh, taped uh, them audio, yeah, video. I had some too. There's like if I didn't throw out but my he, VHS collection, I'm sure there would have been some on like the back end of some of those old tapes. But he transferred them to DVD. Oh wow! And I told him I I told him I called in to the Jim Cornette show when he was interviewing Jim Cornette. And he gave me the DVD of that because I have that one. And then you could hear, you know, nervous John LaRocca <laughs> starting, stuttering through a question to Jim Cornette, who I impressed him with my, uh, my knowledge when I asked him about the Galaxian tag team he managed. It's one of the first teams he managed. So he was impressed by the, uh, the listeners of the Dynamite D show. <laughs> <laughs> And and then if you ever do meet Jim again, uh, you can remind him of that, and then he will say, "Aren't you the guy who booked Joey Ryan at APW?" I didn't book him. <laughs> I just I just had to work what I was given, sir. <laughs> Don't but, blame me. But but by the way, I I I'm not a fan of Joey Ryan's shtick, but I am a fan of his actual uh business savvy that's for sure um, yeah me too and actually joe look we, we actually talked about the other day but yeah, joe is actually a really good guy that's what that's I, what everybody you know. says everyone says that yeah he's, he's really cool um okay so so you know we we do this on the we want flair podcast which is basically go through the history of the event and sort of what was going on at wrestling before and after so I'm going to give you a little bit of the information that was happening in October of 1991. So this is post Ric Flair leaving WCW, and he has not exactly signed with WWE, I don't think, but he's like well on, like right on his way of signing with WWE and doing the TV taping and, and all that stuff. Um so that's happening, which is the single biggest story in wrestling. Um, in a story that I, I must have heard before, but I didn't remember when I was doing research uh, on it. Um, WCW is trying to work with Memphis. Mm-hmm. And Jerry Lawler was going to win an NWA title tournament so that they could book... Jerry Lawler versus Lex Luger, title for title, NWA versus WCW, to basically get ahead of what WWF was going to do with Flair and Hogan. Do you have any memory of this outside of finding it doing research? Um, at the time, no. 
did not know anything about this because I wasn't really into the whole inside stuff. I was just just watching. Um, but later on, I think it was like I think it was like around the time like 2000. I remember reading this story and I was just like blown away. And like, <laughs> what? We could have had Lawler because I was such a big Memphis fan too. I just wish they would have pulled this off. I don't know. It'd be interesting if how the WWE fans would take it, but yeah, you know, Jerry yeah. Lawler can get anything over. So I think he, it would have worked, but um, yeah, that, that would have been totally cool. It probably wouldn't have been a long run. It'd probably be just something where he, you know, gets a short run with it. And plus, you know, of course to help their business, right? So Memphis was definitely down in 91. So they're, you know, it's just, but then, you know, in, End up cutting a deal with WWF and things just seemed did pretty well for them in next ninety three with all the stuff they did with Vince's heel, the you know prelude to the Mister Command character and all that. So and and so a couple of reasons uh, why this didn't happen. One, um, I think Jerry, I think Jerry Jarrett was very at least he used this as the excuse, which is it got out. And he didn't want to do mm-hmm. it with that information getting out. Now, there's a whole other story about how the information got out, and the blame was placed on Paul Heyman. So Heyman uh, was mostly an announcer at this point. He was suspended by Jim Hurd because I believe Hurd thought that Heyman. Um, kind of leaked the news, which got Jerry Jarrett to have cold feet. And uh, so Eddie Gilbert, Eddie Gilbert, he was like, had had a, like a short stint with them around this time, right? Mm, uh, not, not 91, but 89 he did. 88, 89. Because there's, uh, there's some story um, about him relating to this time frame. But anyways, so... Eddie Gilbert writes this long uh, note, and he mentions uh, the Observer. He mentions the Torch, and 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 Dave just prints the entire thing, and it's basically Eddie Gilbert saying that he called Jerry Lawler to ask if this was happening, and Jerry Lawler got really angry, and then uh, I think Jarrett and Lawler thought that Eddie Gilbert got the information from Paul Heyman. And Eddie Gilbert was basically saying that he didn't. And so there's just this long back, it's long, he was basically uh, complaining about WCW and how, you know, they're they're so fragile and, you know, you never hear about WWF, uh, you know, the, the backstage and the bookers and all these people having problems, but this is why WCW is second rate, so this and that. So he wrote this long letter. And so uh, Heyman is suspended and basically holds a press conference in New York, which says, if WCW does not reinvestigate why I'm suspended, I'm going to sue them. And uh, that and at Halloween Havoc, he's back on right with uh, managing um, Rick Rude. So it was pretty quick that that was squashed. So so that so that which, was which is fine. Because he cuts one of the most confusing promos as a kid when I'm watching it. Because he comes back and he introduces, you know, 
the Halloween Havoc Phantom, which means the crew. There's Medusa now with him. And he cuts this promo about, I don't know, being suspended, all that stuff. And I'm like, when did that happen? Was just a color commentary? So it was one of those inside things that flew over my head back that, then. That would work so well today in wrestling, but not back then when the, when the casual fan base was the larger fan base. Yeah, um, okay, so a couple, two two other things. Uh, one is uh, the Sid Squeegee moment where he gets in a fight with uh, Mike Graham and Brian Pillman at a bar and, uh, and, and pulls the squeegee out. Uh, and then uh, we're, we're, uh, we're Tuesday night in Texas. You know, we're a couple weeks from Tuesday night in Texas. So Hogan Taker at Survivor Series, and then they come back. Uh, the following Tuesday for Tuesday Night in Texas. So sort of like, uh, you know, right in the, my wheelhouse of, of really, really following the business side of wrestling. So that's where we are from a timepiece perspective. So now we have the, uh, the mentioning of this show, which is one of the major pieces of promotion for the Halloween Havoc. Uh, Halloween Havoc is uh, this is the is it the second or third Halloween Havoc show third third one right third, third. 89, 89 was the first one and then ninety was uh, Sting and Sid with the Barry Windham as the fake Sting um, mm-hmm. and and so this is the third one and one of the promotional pieces was this Chamber of Horrors match which they didn't even really give any rules for. There was a lot of mystery. Uh, Paul Heyman and Missy Hyatt were doing segments like Sherlock Holmes-ish, like trying to figure out information (laughs) about this match. And so uh, here is the original matchup for this this Chamber of Horrors match. On one side, you have Eligante, Rick Steiner, Scott Steiner, and Sting. That team stayed the same. The interesting thing about that is Scott Steiner had been out with a bicep injury, and it was sort of touch and go as far as whether he'd be ready for this match. He does actually make it, but you know there was a lot of worry about that. And their original opponents were Oz, <laughs> Barry Windham, the Diamond Stud, and One Man Gang. Now, if you're watching WCW in 1991... Oz, Diamond Stud, One Man Gang, those guys are definitely being pushed at, to, to, some per, per, to, to some point as heels. But Barry Windham doesn't really fit on the heel side in that team. So do you yeah, know... Yeah, like, babyface in July. Right. <laughs> so, because he was doing the matches with Pillman, right? Like right before that. And then he turns yeah. babyface in the Lex match for the title. And then they end up forming a, a team with Ron Simmons, and they're they're feuding with Lex Luger and Mr. Hughes. So that was the original the original match. Now, one man gang gets fired. Why does he get fired? Because he decides that he does not want to put PN News over. <laughs> PN News doesn't want to put him over. WCW goes, you know what? You're out of here. So. Abdul the Butcher replaces him in this match. Now, this is really hilarious because the one-man gang was scheduled to be 
the person who is electrocuted and thus loses the match. Yes, I said electrocuted. If you've never seen this match before, the loser gets electrocuted. One man gang was going to lose the match, and it uh, and he would then get amnesia and would come back thinking he was Reverend Billy Bright and be a babyface. Uh, this is a, this is right smack dab in the Wrestling Observer like a few weeks before this match happens. Reverend Billy Bright, I don't know what that means. Uh, we we would actually see the amnesia thing later, uh, a couple years later, with Cactus Jack, uh, where he would get amnesia. But uh, but that was the plan for One Man Gang to lose this match. So um, the other thing was, you know, like I said, Steiner was possibly going to uh, going to uh, be out of this match. It, you know, they they were hoping he was going to make it. If he wasn't going to make the match, the replacement was scheduled to be. Big Van Vader. Now, <laughs> Big Van Vader is actually in the match, but he's on the heel side, uh, af- and he's on the. Uh, I don't know. Did if did he replace? So basically, Cactus Jack and Big Van Vader replace. He took Oz's spot. Yeah, the, he were, they, he replaces Oz and Barry Windham, or they replace Oz and Barry Windham. So the match is actually quite different from the heel side, as three of the four gentlemen are replaced before this thing actually gets in the ring. Um, yeah. So we have Elegante, the Steiners, and Sting versus Cactus, Big Van Vader, Diamond Stud, who's the only one that was scheduled originally, and then Abdullah the Butcher. So quite the uh, quite the foursome here. Now, what I thought was actually kind of interesting is they have this, uh, this, uh, this big cage match with eight men in October, and then they would come back, uh, what would it be, four months later? When, when was uh, the Fall Brawl War Games uh, match the, the following year? Well, it, it was uh, May. May, uh, May, okay, so, so, so there is a little May bit more 17th time. May 17th of 1992. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a little bit of time, but Jim, Jim Ross the whole time is like selling this match as like, there's eight men. Like, I can't even tell what's going on. I'm sorry if my play-by-play isn't great. Like, there's just total chaos. Like, and so he keeps promoting the fact that there's eight dudes in this match and all at the same time. And my thought was like, well, they're going to sort of do that again, you know, with war games. But okay. Um, and so they don't describe the match. They don't, they don't really say what's going to happen. They don't really say, like, here are the rules. You're just sort of led to believe that someone uh, that that a chair is going to come down you can see the chair sort of hanging um and the chair is going to come down through the top of the cage top of the cage is open it's like a thunderdome cage match right like i like the the way the thunderdome cage was yeah so open top and at some point this chair is going to drop down now, uh, there was no timer on the chair. They didn't say what had to happen for the chair. No one called for the chair. During this match, the chair yeah. just starts going. And, um, it just drops. It just drops. And Cactus Jack actually takes a uh, DDT from the Steiner brothers. Like a, It was like a tag team. It was like a double move DDT from the top rope or something. And so he's trying to sell taking this DDT, which... You know, back in back in those days, like sh- could be a, a finisher. Uh, 
And so he's trying to sell it, and everyone's yelling at him to get out of the way so that he doesn't get crushed by this chair that's coming from the top from from through the cage. So that's kind of how hokey this match is. Now, that's not the only hokey part, because when you get the guy in the chair, your, your goal is to get the opponent in the chair, you have to flip this switch from off to that's on. That's the best part. That's on the side of the cage. And they, that like... They go to that switch at some point. I think uh, I, I forgot. Maybe it was a Jack or something was looking at it. But they they show a photo or they show a video of what the what the the thing looks like, and it's set to on. Like the the switch <laughs> like dropped or like maybe because of the rattling or someone was climbing because Rick Steiner's just climbing the cage for no reason throughout this match. So maybe he kind of you know. Go ahead. The best part throughout the match is like they had to reset it like two times because <laughs> it keeps falling down. Like at one point, you see uh, referee Fred Atkins climb the cage. Now they have a hard cam shot, so you can see this. And like going to inside the cage where you can't see him do this. They do a hard cam shot, classic WCW production. <laughs> and there's freaking Fred Atkins climbing the cage and reset the lever. I'm like, oh my god. This is so much fun to watch this match. <laughs> so, so there, there's cool. there, there's some other funky things here. So, like in the overbooking of overbooking, there are two caskets that, for some reason, are just around the ring. And at some point, I think Scott Steiner goes outside, or maybe it's Rick, and just some random dude pops out of the casket. So you would think, oh, the, this these extra people are gonna help kind of beat up the baby faces so the heels can get advantage. Nope, they just get their ass kicked and like nowhere to be seen, you know, anywhere after after they get their ass kicked. So no. just really weird. Um and then they bring these guys they're they're sort of like the Undertaker's druids and they come down the ring. They're like in white face paint and they're supposed to be like zombies or or ghouls or whatever and they're holding a stretcher. So I think when the person gets electrocuted, they are supposed to be stretchered back with these 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 mm-hmm. druid guys. And so you just see these random guys just hanging out. Like one guy looks like the ultimate warrior. Um, he's just because he's got the crazy hair. It's uh, all the local Chattanooga like job guys that would use. And a couple of names I I a couple of guys I recognize like one was a Chris Sullivan. I'm pretty sure Larry Santo was one of them as well. So it was like all the guys you would see like on they would use for job duty in when they're in the area or even outside the area because a lot of those guys would travel and do and do jobs um, on the TV taping. So you know, the job guys got some extra work a little bit dressed up as a ghoul. They was it white face paint and white yep. gurney? <laughs> So so the way they explain Barry Windham being out of the match is he had actually I think he broke his wrist. Uh so he he couldn't yeah, wrestle. No, that was true. He was injured. He and he always had this like nagging wrist injury for like since like nineteen ninety. And so he had a, a wrist injury and so to ride him out, he was attacked by the enforcers and began the show. There there's controversy before the paper restarted as the wrestlers are coming in. Cactus Jack and Abdullah show up, and Abdullah has his suit on, which I always like got a kick out of because you know he's all this wild man on TV. But he has a cigar and he's 
oh, it's hilarious. But then here comes you know, Dustin Rhodes and Barry Wynn together, and they're in a convertible, and they, you know the enforcers come and they slam the door on on Barry Wyndham's hand, and then Dustin throws him Barry in the car. They take off to the hospital, and it was so cool. It was funny because you just see like Barry put his like leg out so when he slammed the door, it's just hitting his leg, you know. But it's you know good camera trick and. You know, when I was a kid, I was like, oh, man. But then I rewatched it like years later and I figured quickly saw how he how he did that stuff. But, I, you know, but yeah, I, I, yeah. I love that stuff so much. I don't try to investigate it because I don't I don't want to know. I just like I just I'm like, oh, that was really cool the way they did that. And I'm just believing that, you know, they're just so good that I, I don't. Oh, need to yeah. When I, when I was a kid, I was like that. But you know, now when my work, it was, you know, then I mean, at least when I started. I was like, man, how they how they take a shot on his wrist? I'll get hurt, but I realized there must be some trick to it. I just kind of could yeah. tell by his body position how his leg was, you know. So it was, it was pretty funny. Yeah, but I mean, you could have used it, and you're like, ah, I need I need to get Jeff Cobb out of this match. I'm going to use the old uh, Halloween Havoc 1991 gimmick. Oh, to, to... I'm a big influencer. One of my big influences was was my you know growing up watching. You know, NBA, WCW, so I would take a lot of stuff from there and, and kind of make, put my own twist on it. <laughs> I never got to use the old, uh, you know, hand in the, uh, hand in the, smashed in the uh, car tour. You know, the, 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 the funniest thing, like, if you really want to, like, you know, how, how some things are so old, like, you're like, oh, God, talk about something aging. <laughs> like, the, I, I don't know what like the front of this building like wherever these guys were driving to looked like the most podunk like nothing <laughs> like you know today everything wwe does is like oh everything's got to look like you know so super fantastic but wcw just like we're just gonna film like outside of a trailer and these guys are gonna pull up the the, the heels are gonna drive these ugly cars uh, and and you know the, like you said the baby faces are going to drive the 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 convertible, and it looks like it's about eighty five degrees outside, and Eric Bischoff is in a tuxedo, like you would think like okay, when would someone be in a tuxedo outside? Okay, rolling out the red carpet at the Oscars, that's a reason to wear a mm-hmm. tuxedo. So if the guy's going to wear a tuxedo, can we dress up the outside of this building instead of just seeing, like, a a hill or so, whatever? I don't even remember what it was. It was just, like, a parking lot and a fence, and it was just like, come on, guys. You guys could have yeah, you guys yeah. could have dressed this up a little bit. I think the idea behind the Chamber of Horrors, I, I can just see it now, like, Dusty Rhodes, Jim Hurd, Mike Graham, whoever else was. You know, as Mike Graham, I know it was an agent around this time. I actually see him during the entrances close the door as they come out <laughs> during this match. Like, I think they're just like, it's Halloween Havoc. Halloween. We need a match that's a stipulation that's scary. And then, of course, you know, at this time, 1991, like, WWE influence was like Dusty taking a lot of stuff from Vince. Mm-hmm. Like, the cartoon aspect that he was doing up in New York and bring it here to WCW. But shockingly, he, you know, I thought you would not do that here because you think of the toys from fan base, right? You know, WCW is more of a hardcore. We're 
high work rate kind of matches. The cartoon stuff was up north, and south was the, the, the wrestling, right? I don't ever thought it mixed well. The only thing I did like what he did bring to WCW in 1991 when he became the Booker again was he brought like some color to the show. Like mm-hmm. 1990, you watch 1990, especially towards like the summer to like the fall. Oh my God, it's like dark, 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 doom and gloom. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, he did bring some talent. He brought, you know, Scott Hall back. He brought uh, Steve Austin, um, gave Bobby Eaton a singles push. So I mean, he did some good things, but like, the cartoon that six stuff just was not working. This is like the height of it right here with this stupid match. But I would say, <laughs> rewatching this match, at least the guys were working it pretty hard as much as possible. I thought Vader's, you know, we got a first glimpse of Vader staying in there together. Vader takes and, you two, know, thought, two clotheslines over the top rope. Yeah, yeah. You know, Cactus is always working hard, doing the best, whatever he can do. Um, uh, um, you know, they were trying to tell the story once the damn stupid chair came down. <laughs> they were, I mean, they were like, at least working to get people into the chair. It wasn't just like, just being like, we had no idea what we were doing. Like for, I mean, I give them credit. Like, it felt that they were trying to make the best of this crap, right? Like, they're just doing their best, best. And, and I think they were all working hard. So props to them on that. And I just remember the finish and just the scene Abdullah, like the, the electric chair going off. And I remember like thinking like, what am I watching? It was a, you know, the Paul bear. I called I always call the Paul bear moment. Like I talked about it a few times already. Like my dad would always walk in with Paul bears doing a promo and I was just embarrassed about wrestling. <laughs> like this is another time where I remember it was the world series was happening at the time, right? The Braves and was the Braves and Indians or something like that or twins. Twins, yeah, twins, right? Twins, yes, Crazy twins. And yeah, because there's a tombstone for the twins on the uh, on the stage, by the way, for the Hallway Havoc stage, which you know, twins didn't win a World Series. But I remember like watching my dad was watching. We're watching the World Series. Like we had to take a break because I had to watch my wrestling. I was pay per view 1995 back in the day, and my dad's like, oh what is this? You know, it was one of those embarrassing moments that <laughs> me watching wrestling as a kid, but, but yeah, I just, it's just one of those funny, funny things. I can't believe this happened in <laughs> wrestling moments. So, so here, here's um, another, here's another terrible gimmick for this match is, um, is it Nick Patrick? Who's wearing the refer refer eye camera oh. helmet on top of his head? Made its debut in 19, uh, Halloween Havoc, 91, was never seen again. And never. Like, like well, he ma- did use it during the Brian Pillman, Ricky Morton title for the first ever WWE lightweight title match. So, so ima- match. Im- imagine uh, the referee's got a helmet on uh, and, and like a bike helmet kind of looking thing. And on top of the helmet is a camera so as the referee is uh, moving around, you see the picture of the, or the video from the referee standpoint. Now, this would be perfect if the referee was standing still, <laughs> but the referee is like the most active guy in the match. And so he's just bouncing around and you're like getting dizzy, like wondering what's going on. And then uh, the second time that they use it in the match, the picture is like about to go out and then they quickly get off of the camera. Um, you, you see, yeah. you start seeing it like getting a little fuzzy 
but yeah, so that was another gimmick in this match. So like, we'll, like the intention is good, right? Bring the fans into the match. It just was poorly executed. But now we get it on every WWE production. We have yeah. the referee all the time. It's the it's the zoom button that they in and out, in and out to show the show the the impact of the matches. But they're just making us all seasick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so stupid. Um, okay, so finish of this match is uh, Rick Steiner and Abdullah are fighting. They're inside the little cage for the chair. And Abdullah basically puts Rick in the chair. And so Cactus is over on the side where the lever is. And I think he's waiting for Abdullah to lock Rick Steiner in before he is going to pull the lever. The referees don't really explain this very well because I was even confused watching today. And I've seen this match before. But what happens is, is Steiner, as Foley's about uh, about to pull the lever, Steiner does a belly to belly and reverses it. And now Abby's in the chair. Now Abby's got a cell just sitting in this chair uh, from a belly to belly, because then Rick has to put these uh, put little gimmicks over the arms to kind of hold Abby in, and then he puts something on the head. I guess there's like a yeah. helmet that uh, that does the electrocution. And so that takes like twenty seconds. So so Cactus Jack's just gonna stand like and 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 the baby faces aren't trying to fight Cactus to to get him away from this lever, and so no. he waits to hear like he's not watching. This is this is the dumb part. He's not watching what's going on. He's looking out to the crowd. So finally, Rick locks Abby in, then slams the door, and once. Cactus hears that the door is slammed. He pulls the lever. Abdullah is electrocuted. But it's just like the whole thing. There's like so many holes in the entire way that this match ends. Uh, that, that, didn't that, come off the way they planned, for sure. No, not at all. But um, but hey, you have a you have a, a historic sort of wrestle crap worthy version of a, of a match that they never did again. But when everybody thinks of this pay per view. They don't think of Lex Luger and Ron Simmons two out of three falls. They think about Chamber of Horrors. Yeah, you know, like it's funny because uh, leading up to this podcast, I knew we were talking about this match. I was to talk about it. I was going to actually write up a car. Like, what would I have done without the Chamber of Horrors? Like, I really wanted to, to get that going, which is I've been so busy catching up at work after being working off-site in Fresno last week. So I just didn't get a chance to kind of put like. If we didn't have a Chamber of Horrors and you had those wrestlers, those eight men in that at that match, what would you? How would you disperse them throughout the the pay per view card? And never got an opportunity to do that, so I thought that'd be kind of fun to see my booking of all the Havoc nineteen ninety would. And it's sad that you know that pay per view is only remembered for that match because you know Luger and Ron Simmons had a pretty good main event. Um, I thought that was a really good match. Um, Dustin Rhodes and Steve Austin had a really good match on the undercard, which is, I thought when I'm watching it as a kid, I'm like, okay, this is the future. This is it. This is, you know, there's your future top baby face and your future top. You know, I didn't say it that way, but I said fan favorite rule breaker probably, but <laughs> you know, I was just thinking those, that's the future. Like I was really, my, my favorite thing. And still today is, you know, top prospects. And, and that's how I looked at those guys. They were top prospects and the future of the company. Um, there's also a really good match between uh, Terry Taylor or Terrence Taylor's time and Bobby Eaton 
they have a really, really good hot singles match, which I think I think they kind of followed or closely followed that Chambers match, and that kind of changed the tide for me. And um, then the pay per view is okay. The rest, there's the most random. You talk about random matches. Big Josh <laughs> and PN News versus the Creatures. Now, who are the Creatures? You want to ask? I remember their advertising match. Oh, who's the Creatures? Who's this new? Who's this new talent? They come out and right away because I'm a weirdo and I can tell body language and it's Joey Mags and Johnny Rich, just mm-hmm, mm-hmm. jobber guys that were, you know, you see just every week on, you know, main event and Saturday night and it's like, really, this is what you come up with? It's just, I never was being disappointed as a fan with that one, and of course there's that classic Oz versus Bill Kazmaier, which. Why wouldn't the hell would anyone book this match? Thank God it was short, but what the hell? Come on. Like, you got Casbar, you got Oz. Two guys that can't do much. You don't throw them together. You put them with guys that can at least carry them. Ah, WCW. I love it. <laughs> so, this were uh, the, the creatures... Were they the um, so so Jim Hurd wanted the hunchbacks at one point, right? Where you yeah, they, I think you, that was you couldn't pin early them. on though. So okay, so so this wasn't sort of the uh, the realization of okay, we can't do the hunchbacks, but let's do something else no. really goofy and cartoonish. I think they're like trying to get Big Josh and PNUs on the show, and they're like, who are they gonna work? Well, everyone's also in that stupid chamber horror match. Everyone else is booked up, and you know, who do we have? Ah, just call them the creatures. We'll figure it out. And all of a sudden, it's like Joey Mags and Giant Rich, you get the call, you know, and put on these stupid green costumes and green mask, and it's just like. I just couldn't believe it when I saw that. I guess this is WCW for you. There you go. Uh, okay, so let's uh, get to uh, – you You mentioned that you were really busy this week, but did you actually get to watch anything um, uh, in, in our What's John Watching segment? Um, no. I think the only thing I really watched was the Chamber of Horrors. Um <laughs> I did. I did watch a little bit of the most recent MLW. I didn't finish it, but I watched the. They had an opening match with Joey Ryan, which wasn't much, and then they had a match with like La Parka and PCO, which was just. It was okay. A lot of big moves. That's the clip you guys sent me or or shared in our group message. Where where PCO, PCO does a flip, yeah. Yeah, and then the and and, and the the apron, which was just nuts and. It was a wild match. Nothing great. Just wild being like, they're just doing these crazy risks. And Park is an interesting character because he's so heavy now and really, mm-hmm. really heavy. But he still will get up and do a tope and all that. So, you know, that's the only thing I really watched. Um, I did go see for my birthday, which is this past Monday. I got I got to go see the newest Halloween movie, which I thought was really fantastic. And being that my favorite horror movie of all time is Halloween, it still gives me the creeps to this day. I just love it so much. 
this was a perfect follow-up to that because the basic understanding is Halloween 2 through everything else is just, you know, legends or just didn't exist. And this just this movie here, the new Halloween, takes place 40 years later. Mm-hmm. And instead of Michael Myers getting away in the first one, he's actually been captured and then, you know, yada, yada, yada. But, like, it's it's really good. Like, it's everything I love about the original Halloween and and those those guys did a really, really good job with it. So definitely I'm definitely one I'm gonna put I'm gonna buy and pick up and watch for the future. So I if, if you're into scary movies, horror movies, I definitely highly recommend the new Halloween. It's, it's worth your time and money. All right, so let's now talk about the actual trick or treating part of uh, of your evening with the uh, the kids, uh, I imagine that that your daughter was more into it this year because she probably very much understood what was going on, and you got to take the uh, the boy out too. So how was uh, trick or treating? Uh, trick or treating was, was really good. I uh, went to a friend's house, did a couple. I mean, we, we right now we're just kind of do like friend's house, and then we go to my in laws' neighborhood and kind of. Last time we only last year we only did like three or four houses in the neighborhood. This time we actually did almost a whole block. Like so, um Chloe was definitely not excited. She first house, she almost walked in the house again. Like <laughs> open the door, you go right in, I'm like, Oh no. But after that one time she got it. She didn't she didn't go into the house. But she's so funny because, you know, she she'll knock on the door. Oh sure, she'll ring the doorbell. She loves ringing doorbells, right? She'll ring the doorbell. But then she'll knock, and we keep telling her, oh, you just need to do one. You only need to ring it in and knock. <laughs> and she'll sit there, and if they don't open up right away, she's like, hello, open the door, come on. We're like, Chloe, no, don't, don't be rude. Just say trick-or-treat, and they, you can't even say thank you. And she's just like, she's just so funny. She's like, hello, come on, come on. <laughs> it's just, it's just funny. So we did like basically you know, almost a whole block so next year next year we'll do go a little further and further and but hunter didn't go out with us when he finally got to my in-laws he was hungry so my uh my wife's grand grandma and grandpa were there so they actually fed hunter he's only five months so he doesn't know much right now but so we just took chloe out and it was a lot of fun and she wasn't really scared of anything no one really had anything scary out too much other than this one guy had his really cool old car like on his lawn and in the car he had like skeletons or zombies or skeletons like driving it it was pretty cool but she was good um and she pooped out she was tired at the end <laughs> so i would say it was a lot of fun it, it just it's these moments you have to really hold on to and and it's just gonna get better so it was great how about you how was your halloween how's the boys <laughs> so obviously the boys are a little old, though, you know, the, the one in college, I'm sure he went to a couple of different parties. Uh, but the, the, the one that, uh, so, I'm, you know, I also, have, um, I also have a niece and a nephew who are, like, right smack dab in the, the perfect age of, uh, of this stuff. So uh, six and four. Um, and so they, you know, they, they, they went to town. They had a great time. But the, the funny, the, the thing that I wanted to, to mention is so... My nephew, he is a humongous Thomas the Train fan. So, you, you, Hunter, at some point, I'm I'm, I'm sure he'll kind of get into that. It seems like a lot of the boys do, but you know, some of the boys then they get out of it. But 
My nephew has not gotten out of it. Uh, I bought him uh, a present. I took him shopping uh, a couple months ago because uh, his birthday was during the week and I wasn't able to go. So we went to Target and I was like, all right, let's go find something. And immediately to like the Thomas the Train toys. So this, so this <laughs> is his thing. So so uh, last year and I think the year before. So let's say so. So yeah. So last year and the year before he was Thomas as for Halloween. And so my sister this year was like, okay, what do you want to be? And he's like, Thomas. And she's like, okay, n- just so you know, next year you got to pick something else. And he's like, nope, Thomas. And so I told her, I said, look, let's just see how long we can get him to be Thomas. And then you have these pictures of like two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, all the way up until they don't even sell Thomas costumes anymore for the big kids where he's just Thomas. Like that would be the best thing ever just to go all these side by side pictures as he's, you know, he's, he's five foot two in a Thomas the train <laughs> en- engine costume as like a, you know, a freshman in high school. Like I just want to see that to, to keep, to keep the, the Thomas going. So but that I just was feel it. like he's gonna have the world's biggest Thomas the Train collection. Like he's got some documentary. Oh my god! It it's amazing. He he's just, I you know I I know sort of the attention span of of kids that age. Like you you know you give them toys and and if you get a half an hour out of it where the kid is just entertaining him or herself, you're like that's a great toy. This guy can go for hours on his trains. Like, it's amazing wow. how much attention span he has for these silly trains. But, hey, keep, you know, that's his, that's, it's a passion for him. So I, I like that he keeps doing it. But, yeah, I just want to see the I just want to see the freshman in high school Thomas the Train uh, costume in, in 10 <laughs> years. That's what I want to see. Um, all right, so uh, so we will be back next week. We will not have a uh, all of a sudden, you know, surprise weekend show that, uh, like we did last week. That was kind of fun to do that, and plus we were able to do it in, in person, uh, so so that was fun. But uh, but yeah, so we'll be back next week. We still got to figure out if we want to do sort of like a weekly review of a show or. You know, maybe we start watching some old matches or something, but we'll figure that out. John and I will do that in the middle of the week and try to make it timely and, and all that. So, um, but yeah, I think that's it for this week. Uh, so for John, I am Double G. We'll see you when we see you. Peace out.